All right. Good evening, everyone. My name is Lee, marijuana addict in California with 572 days, which is approaching 19 months. I have been reluctant to be a speaker, even though it's crossed my mind. Uh, recently, my sponsor gave me a nudge that it was something I should try. And one of the things that has been holding me back is I felt like to properly tell my story, I need to come out as well. And I'm a pretty private person, so I haven't done that. I am a non-binary person. I was born female. I've lived as a woman. I've lived as a man. I just identify as a human, really. I don't really care about pronouns as long as you, whatever you call me, you use respect. And I just want to say that recovery is for everyone, whoever you are, whatever your gender, whatever your sexual orientation, whatever your, your race or your faith, you have a place in recovery and you belong here. I grew up in Central Florida. I'm from a, a mixed family. My father is an Arab-Turkish immigrant, and my mother is German-American. And there was uh, mental illness and addiction on both sides of my family. I found out recently that both of my parents were smoking marijuana. Before they got married, they smoked together. But there wasn't actually active substance use in the home I grew up in. There were other addictive behaviors. There was codependency, food addiction, workaholism, and a lot of emotional instability. My father was a rageaholic, and my mother was pretty emotionally unavailable. And we lived behind a veil of suburban, middle-class normalcy. I was an only child. I always felt like a weird kid. I didn't have a lot of friends. I felt ugly. I felt strange. I didn't feel like people liked me. So I had low self-esteem. And I was also taught early on I needed to take care of myself. I was a latchkey kid. I had to figure out a lot of things on my own. I also struggled with a lot of perfectionism. I was a gifted student, but that made me feel more alienated from my peers. I remember I just really wanted to be normal, and I wanted to belong. I just didn't feel like I fit in anywhere. I had a lot of anxiety and depression, but I didn't know that's what I was dealing with at the time. And by my preteen years, I was engaging in self-harming behaviors, eating disorders, I was struggling with my sexuality and my gender expression, and I had a strong desire to escape reality. And really throughout my teens and 20s, I had a desire to die, and I expected that I would die young. I didn't really know much about substances until the D.A.R.E. program, which for me was elementary school in the 90s. It had the opposite of the intended effect in my case. I became fascinated by substances because of what I learned. 
I wanted to escape reality. I wanted to alter my consciousness. And around the same time, I started consuming media that really glamorized drug use. I would watch the Cheech and Chong films on TV. I saw the film version of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I watched Half Baked. And I was really fascinated by the sort of substance-using, anti-hero, outlaw character. And that would go on to deepen in high school, where I got really into beatnik literature and psychedelic rock music. And I really felt like I was born in the wrong place and time. I was very rebellious, very anti-authoritarian. I always wanted to push boundaries and push limits. I was always looking for something more. I was bored a lot. By age 13, I started shoplifting for fun and cutting class and experimenting with substances. My first encounter with marijuana was actually not ingesting it. I found a way to order seeds online because I wanted to try it so bad, I thought I would grow it on my own. That didn't work. I, I, I failed at that, but by age 14, I had worked up the courage to ask a boy at my bus stop if he could help me get some weed, and he said he could, and he did, and for the first time, I used it by myself. I figured out how to roll joints, and I remember getting extremely high, hallucinating, and thinking that I don't really like this feeling. But that wasn't going to stop me from doing it again. By age 15, I actually overdosed on marijuana, which I believe is possible. I ate a large quantity of it. And the next day I woke up with tremors and severe hallucinations. I was terrified, but I was, I was afraid to tell anybody what I was experiencing. So I just went through my day like normal around my family. Also at age 15, my father passed away from pancreatic cancer and it really left a huge hole in my life. Even though I was afraid of my father and I always felt like I was on eggshells around him, he was the more involved parent. So it was really a huge loss and I didn't have anyone around to support me. My mom just really poured herself into work and religion and I really felt like I had to deal with everything on my own, and I coped with addictive behaviors. I started smoking more marijuana. My friends started smoking too at this time, so I wasn't entirely alone. And even by age 17, I remember thinking that it was sort of out of control, that I might have an issue, this drug might have a hold on me, but I definitely wasn't ready to face that. By age 17, I started having risky sex and marijuana was used as a date rape drug by an older man who led me back to his place to smoke. And before I realized what was happening, we were passing a marijuana pipe. And I remember noticing that when I would pass it to him, he wasn't taking a hit and he would pass it right back to me to get me higher. Things like that sort of became normal in the backdrop of my life at that time.
at age 18, I got into narcotics. Marijuana was definitely a gateway for me. And I used marijuana as a vessel to smoke other substances. And I also used marijuana to wean off of narcotics. At 19, I had been clean off of narcotics for about six months. I went to spend time in Turkey with my family where I couldn't get it. And I was moving to a new town to go to college. And I thought I was going to get a fresh start in a new place. I didn't realize that the school I had been accepted to was also a major party school. And the first day I got there, someone I didn't even know smoked me up and sold me a bag of the strongest weed I had ever tried. And that characterized my time at that school. After three semesters, I dropped out. I was pretty much partying the whole time, not taking classes seriously. I was pretty depressed. But after I dropped out at 20, I took a road trip across the country out to the West Coast for the first time. And I'm sad to say that I, I barely remember this beautiful trip through some of the most beautiful parts of the country because I was completely stoned almost the whole entire time. And when I got to California, I met a, an old hippie dude who handed me a bag of weed. He had grown himself and said, welcome to California. And I thought I was in the promised land. And I knew I wanted to come back. But I went back to Florida. I was in and out of school. I was in and out of smoking marijuana. Around age 22, I had a dream that angelic beings told me not to inhale any burnt substances. And it seemed like a powerful message, but it was one I was not ready to accept. When I was 23, I had been smoking pot with a partner. And he asked me if mental illness ran in my family after I smoked with him. And I was extremely offended. But the reality was, when I smoked, I got really out there. And by out there, I mean psychotic. I thought I was magic, though. I thought I was a shaman. I thought I was a space cadet. I thought I was special. But people were noticing that I, I got pretty out of control. And I wasn't willing to accept that. But at age 24, I had a psychotic episode which resulted in hospitalization. And marijuana was involved. I was given a bipolar diagnosis, which I didn't accept. I didn't believe that was me. I didn't believe I needed treatment. And I tried to ignore that whole problem. At 25, I was back out in California working on jobs. And I ended up working on a marijuana trim scene. And I thought this was the best thing ever. I was processing marijuana for a grower. I was getting high all day. I was expecting to get paid. I was hoping that that money would make a difference in my life. I was pretty broke. But then when it's time to get paid, I didn't get paid. And I kind of fell flat on my face after that. 26, 27, I was in and out of psych ward. And I remember meeting a man in a psych ward who said, every time I smoke, I end up in here. And I remember thinking... That really sucks, dude. Like, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that for you. But the reality was that was my story, too. I was really heavily medicated at this time. I was really struggling. I attempted suicide. I was using marijuana. I felt pretty hopeless. 
around this time, um, I was seeing an acupuncturist at a student clinic, and I told him I used marijuana, and I told him everything I was dealing with, the mental health, everything. And he explained to me that in the Chinese medicine system, marijuana was pulling me apart in two different directions. It was just pulling my energy apart. And he credited that for a lot of the issues I was having. But I didn't want to hear that at the time. I didn't want to believe it. I didn't pay attention to things like that. And for the next few years, I, I went to jail. I was homeless living on the streets of South Florida. I made it back out to California. I was living in weird situations. I lived in vehicles. I would do work trade. I would live with families and smoke weed out the window like I was still a teenager, even though I was basically 30. I lived in sailboats a couple times, and I feel like this was a good analogy for what marijuana was doing to my life, because I've never been on a sailboat actually sailing in the ocean. I've only been in a sailboat tied up in a marina, holed up inside, getting high. And I feel like there's something to that about just not living up to my potential, not knowing the freedom of the open ocean, but being in a boat, being in a vessel that can take me there, just staying at the dock, staying high, and, and just living like, like a shadow, basically. I was really afraid to have stable employment. I was afraid to sign a lease. I was afraid of stability. I was afraid of success. I couldn't handle any of the basic life things that most people my age seem to have mastered. I thought that I was an anarchist, I was a punk, I was a modern-day beatnik, I was living on the edge, and I really considered weed my traveling companion. In fact, I would say that. I felt critical of other people with addictions like alcoholism because I felt like marijuana wasn't as detrimental, and I felt like I was, I was doing fine, I was surviving, and I thought the way I lived was, was working for me even though it wasn't. I was in a lot of survival relationships with people that I really didn't like. And I was dealing with a lot of codependency and a lot of suppressing myself. I also had people in my life, marijuana growers, who I considered friends, even though the whole basis of our friendship was marijuana, who would give me big jars of weed for free. And I thought that was the greatest thing ever. But I later learned there's really no such thing as free weed. In 2019, 14 years after I had started it, I managed to finish my degree, my undergraduate degree. But I barely remember what I read. I barely remember what I wrote because I was high the whole time. And the school was in San Francisco. There was a lot of marijuana use. I would smoke on the campus. And people would tell me they liked what I wrote. My instructors would tell me they liked what I wrote. And I would be like, I don't even remember what you're talking about. Because I was high all the time. I was just so checked out. And I would use it in all forms that I could, edibles, beverage, vape, whatever. I was always anxious to get high. If I knew someone had it, I was hoping they would smoke me up. And throughout this time, there were so many times that I would give my weed away, or I would throw it in the trash, and then I'd find it in the trash, or I would leave it at a campsite, 
And I, I, I always ended up finding more, or I always ended up crossing paths with people who had it. And I was such an addict that I felt like it was serendipitous and it was just natural that I, that I should have it again and I should, you know, keep using it. In 2019, I did manage to get clean time for about six months because I went to Turkey and I lived there and I didn't know where to get any weed. And it actually felt really good. I was 33 years old and I thought, this is my Jesus year. This is the year that I'm, I'm going to get sober. I'm not going to use. I knew I didn't want to smoke anymore. I didn't know how to acknowledge how powerless I was. And it felt really good to have that time away from marijuana. In 2020, I came back to the U.S. and I tried to stay clean on my own, but that didn't really work out. I thought 2020 was going to be a fresh start to my life. I was really hoping not to use marijuana. I really wanted a clean slate. I thought I was going to go to graduate school. I was planning on becoming a therapist or a social worker. I thought 2020 was going to be the year that everything just fell into place for me. I was going to get out of my shell. I was going to do all the things I had dreamt of doing. And then the pandemic hit. And I was still that unstable, unresourced person living with complex trauma and mental illness. And I was still very much an addict. And I didn't have a lot of resources. I didn't have a job. So I couldn't really sign a lease. I just ended up living in hotels and Airbnbs on credit cards because I felt like it, it wasn't hygienic to live in my van during the pandemic, which was my fallback plan whenever housing was scarce for me. I was staying in an Airbnb and the owner was out of town, and she said, hey, there's a big jar of weed in the freezer. You can have it if you want it. And I said, why, yes, absolutely. I want that. I just stayed in a state of paranoid, marijuana-induced hibernation, watching the pandemic death toll climb. I was afraid to go out. I was eating a lot of junk. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was just living in this little studio. And after two months of living like that, I was kicked out of that Airbnb. And I only thought I had two choices of where to turn to. I, I was low on resources. There are two places I was thinking I might be able to go live. Both were weed dealers, I mean weed growers, and by, by that, dealers as well. There were people who I... I knew I didn't really like, but they would supply me with marijuana, and that was the whole basis of our relationship. So I reached out to a weed grower who lived closer to town, and she was usually very accommodating of me, and I asked if I could go live with her. And she said yes. And I knew deep down I didn't really like her, and I didn't like myself for hanging around her. But I was a complete con artist for weed. And so I pretended to be her friend, and I'm sure she pretended to be mine. 
and I expected that she would always be giving me some some free marijuana. And if I ever met up with her and she didn't give me free weed, I would resent her because that was the basis of all that we had. And that was all I saw her as. So I moved in with her. Uh, things were a little different this time, though. She was actually growing an illegal quantity of marijuana on the property above the county limit for um, this jurisdiction. And she was pretty paranoid that police might show up or somebody might see her marijuana grow. But I didn't really think twice about that. Shortly after I moved in, George Floyd was killed by police and the nation erupted into grief and rage and protest. And I felt very emotionally tuned into that. I felt very affected by that. And I felt like I wanted to do something in solidarity with that, but I was out in the middle of nowhere in a rural area and I didn't know what to do. And I got the bright idea that I should fast and pray or to somehow help with this uh, national movement. And the backstory is the times that I've fasted, I've gone into altered states of consciousness that have gotten out of control and have led to psychosis and have led to hospitalization. But for some reason, I thought this time would be different, even though I was also smoking copious quantities of marijuana. So before I knew it, I was manic, and being an addict, mania feels like a natural high. I felt super creative. I was making a lot of art. I was making music. I was singing. I felt like I was just tuned into the universe. And I felt like I was tuned into to this like collective social movement that was happening. And before I knew it, things were escalating. And my behaviors were more erratic and more alarming to the weed grower I was living with. Like I would stay up at night drumming and chanting all night long, thinking I'm a Sufi, I'm a mystic, and I can just do whatever I want, and she's afraid someone's going to call the cops on, because I'm out of control. Things escalated. I'm actually not going to go into specific details about what happened. It's a very sensitive topic for me. If you ever want to talk to me one-on-one, -on -one, I'm happy to, but I did end up arrested. I didn't hurt anybody, but I did things that I would not normally do if I were sane and aware for my actions, of my actions. I ended up in jail for about a month, which is a miserable experience for anybody. It is even more miserable during a pandemic and it's even more challenging if you're a gender non-conforming person that they don't know what to do with and if you're mentally ill and terrified out of your mind as I was. So I had a pretty bad time but after about a month they lowered my bail and my mom fortunately was able to bail me out. I just felt like the wind had been knocked out of me. I didn't even really know what to make of it. I knew I was accountable for my behaviors, but at the same time, the dealer, grower I was living with 
told a lot of lies about me to the police that really did not help me at all. And I felt really betrayed by that. I felt really sad about that. And when I got out, I also found that this person had gone through my property and stolen thousands of dollars of cash that I had stashed away, among some other things. And ultimately, I feel like, you know, all of that was the price for my addiction. There's no such thing as free lunch. There's no such thing as free weed. This person had given me probably $1,000 of marijuana. And I paid the price for that with my mental illness. I paid the price for that with my arrest. And I, I, I paid the price with the theft of my property as well. That was the price that I paid for my addiction. I couldn't get high in jail. Actually, I did uh, snort instant coffee in jail, and I don't recommend that. I am an addict. I do addict things. And when I got out of jail, though, I thought, I don't want to smoke weed. I want to stay clean. But then I justified that, you know, I, I am traumatized. I was traumatized. And I only knew how to cope with my addiction. So I doubled down on smoking. And now nobody was giving me free weed. So I started buying ounces at a time. I had to always keep my stash up. I would smoke from the moment I woke up till I passed out high at night. Just hold up, getting high all day long, miserable. And that went on for months. I didn't want to face the reality of my situation. I didn't want to face the gravity that I was facing multiple, multiple felony charges. I really hoped it would all go away, but it didn't. Eventually I had to get a job. I actually bought synthetic urine online to pass a drug test to get this job, and it was a work from home job. So I found ways to still get high while I was on the job. And I kept that up for months. In April of 2021, it was Ramadan, and I come from a mixed Muslim and Christian family. And I thought, excuse me, I thought, I'm not going to fast. I'll give up marijuana for Ramadan. That's what I can do. And after a couple days, I had enough clarity that I, I just basically had a step one. And I realized I had a serious problem. I was completely powerless over marijuana. And that marijuana had played a role in the legal situation I was caught up in. It, the thought hadn't even crossed my mind for all the months that I had just been getting high. And I don't remember how I found Marijuana Anonymous. I had been in some other fellowships. I'm sure I had heard about it. But I remember I looked it up online. I got on a Zoom meeting. I heard the 12 questions for the first time. I could answer yes to every single one. I found the phone lines. I started going to meetings. And I got five months of clean time. And that was great. But I was still such an addict. I wasn't willing to give it up. I wasn't willing to let go, especially because there was a legal governing authority 
that was about to tell me I would have to be sober either on probation or in a diversion program, and my addict brain made addict excuses, and I relapsed. I told myself it was just all the stress and the anxiety of waiting through court date after court date and not knowing and not knowing what was going on, and I justified it. And I went right back into smoking just as heavily as I had been, buying ounces at a time, smoking on the job. And I went on like that for a few months until both my attorney and my therapist were like, you need to get your shit together. Courts like to see the 12 steps. I started taking my butt to phone meetings. I would just lurk on the phone lines, listening still getting high and listening and just feeling like a monster lurking in the shadows, like listening on these meetings. But I did talk to some people in fellowship and they were extremely welcoming. And they said, you know, all you need is the desire to stop using and you belong here. You're welcome here. And I really felt that. And that really meant a lot to me. And so after several days of throwing my roaches in the trash and digging them back out. On December 20th, 21st, Solstice Eve, I managed to get my first clean day, and that is still my sobriety date. And this time I got a sponsor. I did a 90 and 90. We started working the steps together, and things started changing. 18 months after my arrest, I got into a diversion program, and successful completion of that program would mean all the charges against me would be dropped, and I fought like hell to get into that program because my future was on the line, and I could not have gotten into it without MA, and without these phone lines, and without the fellowship, and the service, and I continued working the steps. And it was really powerful to be that vulnerable, doing my four-step inventory and sharing that with another person and not feeling judged and not feeling like I was a monster. And it was really powerful to make amends to people, some of them people I didn't even really like. And it was, it was really transformative. And I was encouraged to be of service. I started chairing a meeting. I'm still chairing a meeting. I started developing a relationship with a higher power and developing faith, which was not easy for me. I grew up without religion. It, it's, it's not a natural thought to me that there's a benevolent force or being or presence that might love me and care about me and want me and support me. That was hard for me. That still is. But I have it more than I did before. And I kept doing the work. I kept doing everything that was asked of me. I also went to therapy for the first time. I committed to years of therapy. I went to sexual assault counseling. I started taking medication at a dose that felt good for me. I wasn't self-medicating with marijuana anymore. I was addressing this long-standing trauma that I had been carrying for years, and I had new coping skills to deal with it. And I had the fellowship of MA, which even led to friendship through these phone lines. And I've gotten so many gifts of recovery, like being able to read books, which I love, and I could not focus enough to read when I was getting high. 
it's such a gift to not be constantly paranoid that aliens are coming to get me or cops or landlords or whoever is going to show up at the door. I'm so grateful that I don't look like a marijuana monster all the time, like a red-faced, red-eyed gremlin the way I used to. I can pass a drug test without thinking twice. I can think clearly, period. I can dream my dreams and remember my dreams. I can breathe without an ashy, horrible taste in my mouth all the time. I'm not constantly putting my life and other people's lives in danger by driving under the influence and telling myself it's fine. And I'm also so extremely proud that I am no longer supporting what I believe to be the toxic marijuana industry in California. I'm so grateful for that. I've definitely had struggles. Definitely had ups and downs, but I've had a support system. I've had a sponsor that I can reach out to for help. I have new ways of dealing with things. I can face things without hiding and smoking myself into a corner of inaction. I can face life for the first time in my life. And I put in all this hard work. And I couldn't have gotten through this, this legal situation on my own at all. And in June of this year, 2023, I successfully graduated the diversion program. The case against me was dismissed. The felony charges were dropped. Even the district attorney agreed to my graduation without any protest. Because even he could see, I went above and beyond everything I was asked to do. I walked my talk. They asked me to go to meetings. I went to more meetings than they asked me to go to, and I chaired meetings. I went beyond everything they asked me to do, and I could prove it. Also, shout out to the web admin for validating my meeting attendance. That whole entire time could not have done it without you. That made a huge difference. But I also knew that getting out of the diversion program would pose its own problems because this authority that had been forcing me to, to re retain sobriety was no longer present. So I created a safety plan with my sponsor. I did a 30 and 30. And I'm not going to lie, I've had moments of desire and I'm still an addict and I will do addict things. I even looked at a dispensary website but one of the things that deterred me was I saw how high the THC levels are and the products they're selling now. I was shocked, and I just thought, that is going to hurt me. That is going to hurt my brain. And I reached out to my sponsor. I reached out to a fellow. I went to meetings, and I got through it, and I still have my day count. I still chair a meeting. I recently got a sponsee. All the things I was seeking through marijuana, I'm learning I can have all of that without getting high. I was seeking magic. I was seeking spiritual realization. I was seeking creativity. I can have all of that without my brain getting constantly hijacked. And that's a wonderful thing. Ultimately, I believe it was good karma for me to get arrested 
I feel like the universe just slapped me down and made me walk my talk. I had talked about wanting to stop smoking weed. Well, here you go. I would, I would have to face that head on. I would not have a choice. I had talked about wanting to lose my fake friends. Here you go. I was forced to face everything I had been running from for years, and I got so much help and support along my difficult journey, early at every step of the way. And it, it was hard, and I was scared. But now 23 years of marijuana bondage have been lifted, and I no longer have to live in a cloud of smoke. I believe that this whole ordeal that I've been through over the past years has been a gift. And through all the obstacles, the fear, the pain, my whole life has been transformed. I feel like a new person. I feel like a better person. And I can meet the challenges that come my way, and I don't have to get high over them. And I have challenges. I'm between jobs right now. I was laid off of my job of two years, which is the longest I've ever held a job. But I still have faith that I can meet this challenge and I can find something better all without using it. And the old me, in my using days, I would just be hibernating in a cloud of smoke right now. I really feel like my story is just beginning. Through sobriety, I've laid a foundation upon which I can build my life and my future. I, I didn't have a foundation before. I didn't have sobriety. I didn't have recovery. And everything I tried to do would just crumble out from under me, despite my best efforts. It's like addiction would just wash everything away. And I just want to say for everyone out there listening, if I can do it, you can do it too. And I could not have done it alone, and you don't have to either. I got through the most difficult, terrifying, life-altering experience I've ever had with the help of Marijuana Anonymous, and you can too. And I'm so grateful. I'm so indebted to this fellowship. I'm indebted to these phone lines. I could not have done it without everyone here. And if you're listening, you're in the right place. You belong. This program works. And you get to make this program yours by working it, and you deserve it. Because if I deserve it, you deserve it. And everyone deserves to live a life free of marijuana bondage. So I just want to say welcome. You belong here. And thank you so much for letting me be of service this evening. Thank you for allowing me to share. I'm really glad to be here, really honored. And with that, I will pass. Thank you so much.